Good evening and welcome back to another edition of the It's Not Orange podcast. Tonight we'll, we'll be previewing Saturday's trip to the Valley as Blackpool look to bounce back from a blunt performance against Derby County on Tuesday as they fell to their first home defeat of the season. Joining me to preview Charlton match is Lewis. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to start the podcast by telling the listeners a bit about why you support Charlton and, and feel free to talk about the uh, Charlton Live podcast as well. Oh, God, where to begin? So um, I, I started following Charlton when I was when I was young at, at primary school. Um, a friend of mine, George, and his and his dad had season tickets and uh, they used to go as a family and his mum wouldn't always be able to go. Um, so they used to take me along um, at times when, when she couldn't and that followed me getting my own season ticket and uh here i am today but i think it feels like since i bought a season ticket the decline has been pretty steep because uh my my first season ticket was the year before we got relegated out of the premier league so i had one one year of enjoyable premier league football before the relegation season and then uh the ongoing decline down down the leagues and, and into league one had a couple of yo-yo seasons since but we find ourselves back in the third division again um and yeah, a few years ago, I, I joined the Charlton Live podcast. So back in 2015, so we were, you know, we're, we're fan led. We're, we're probably the, the the number one fan podcast for for Charlton Athletic. Um, we we moved onto YouTube this year, and and it's it's grown, um, which is which is great. And obviously, reporting on Charlton can be at times very challenging because we've had lots of ups and downs over the years, not just on the pitch but off of it as well. Um, so it's been a it's been a real roller coaster reporting on on some of that stuff and and chatting to our fans every every Thursday and Sunday about everything Charlton whether that be how we've done on the pitch that day or or what owner is going to be uh, is going to be in the boardroom <laughs> that week, um, but yeah you know never a dull moment being a Charlton fan mate and um, yeah you know it's it's going to be a be an interesting game on Saturday I'm sure um, feels like we're on a bit of a positive. Um, wave at the moment, which is which is nice. So, yeah, I'm I'm here for that that positive journey. That's for sure. Yeah, I was just going to talk um, a little bit um, about your recent history, but just listening into your to your podcast before before doing this one, one of the um, presenters said he was talking to to, to Alfie May or, on Tuesday night. And do you, do you get involved with talking to the actual players as well? Is that just part of his role? So, so Louis, our host, works for uh, for BBC London. So he he provides commentary for the BBC. Um, so he has that additional access um, to the players and to the manager, which is great. Um, but the club are also um, very very good in giving us access as a podcast. Um, they they know about the pod and they and they give us exclusive uh, interviews with the players um, and with Michael Appleton as well. Um, so yeah, it's a supported podcast from the fan base, but also from the football club as well, which has helped us grow it to be honest and having that access obviously makes it quite a good product um so yeah you know it's it's going very well louis works incredibly hard to make the show what it is um it's been over some um some varying formats since i've been here we started as a as a radio show on a on maritime radio out of greenwich which broadcast out of the valley um and then um that ran until 2020 when when covid struck we had to take the show remote um and we ran it online again as a as a pre-recorded podcast at the time um because we couldn't go out live um and last season after uh after joining the my new football club um pod over over at exeter with david earl we we moved on to Streamyard like like yourself and and now the show goes out on air on on youtube on a, on a thursday and a sunday 
Um, so yeah, it's it's nice to see that the show has grown organically over the years um, into a new format. So yeah, having that access is is very very good. It make, it makes it a good product for us, and and yeah, it makes it accessible for our supporters to hear uh, from the players and from the managers as well. Yeah, make makes it less. Um less boring so to speak as well with something different to, to sort of report on and give you give your listeners or viewers something different as well which is really good but talking about your listeners and your viewers which are ultimately your fans um, and fans of Charlton um, your recent history has been a bit stagnant so to speak but with the interesting stuff going on in the background so previous to to the playoff or sort of after the playoff final um, you've had two sort of mid-table finishes some exciting runs in there but ultimately you tail off either in the mid-season or towards the end as well. So talk to us about your recent history. Obviously, you've, you've changed owners um, in the past few years as well. So just tell, tell the It's Not Orange listeners about about that. Yeah, I, I think the biggest uh, contributor to, to Charlton's downfall over the last few years has been instability. So uh, as you mentioned there, we've, we've had uh, a few ownership changes over the years. Um, in the last, so since 2014, we were purchased by Roland de Chatelet. Um, we've had takeovers from three different parties, four different parties now. We had East Street Investments coming in, in uh, 2019, um, and then East Street Investments Part 2, if you like, in uh, 2020, and then Thomas Sangard coming in in September 2020 before uh, he sold the club on to SC7 Partners. Um, this summer, um, the Roland de Chatelet years were, were very difficult because... Roland owned a network of clubs throughout Europe, uh, including the likes of Standard Liège, um, Carl Zeiss Siena, um, and, and a few other clubs uh, in Spain and, and Hungary. Um, that became a model for him that was that was called the network, which effectively meant that players that were performing well for Charlton would would move to Standard Liège if, if they were seen as the higher product at the time. We were in the Championship, Standard obviously in the the Belgian Pro League and playing Champions League football. So um, there would be players that move around. And then likewise, players that weren't getting in at Standard would would come down to Charlton. So we saw an influx of players when he came in uh, from the continent uh, and from the Belgian Pro League, which were just not made for the for English football, really. Um, Chris Powell was in charge at the time um, and had some very difficult conversations with, with Roland, which eventually led to, to Powell being sacked after an FA Cup quarterfinal defeat to Sheffield United and and from then really that's when the instability really kicked in because we had I think four or five managers over the space of, of two seasons um, so the season after Pauli got sacked we had um, Bob Peters uh, who was a, a hire from Europe um, and then Guy Luzon who was former standard Liège manager um, finished strongly after Guy Luzon thought we would build um, and then the following season he was sacked in October and replaced by um, Carol Fry, who was interim manager, um, uh, it was in, uh, in yeah he was interim manager, but was assistant under Jose Riga, who replaced Chris Powell uh, two seasons prior. Um, he was interim for a long time, uh, and that was some of the worst football I've seen down at the Valley. Um, he eventually also hit a uh, bit the dust. We brought back Jose Riga, who was the manager when Carol Fry was the assistant, um, and we got relegated that season. Um, and from that moment, it felt like that the Chatelet kind of washed his hands with the football club um, from a day-to-day involvement side of things. Like he was never he was never around the place. He never came to games. Um, but he, he he sort of let more decisions take place um, from the day-to-day staff. So we saw Russell Slade come in 
um, as the manager in League One that season, that didn't start well. Um, he'd come out of a, a job at Cardiff City where I think he'd been like a director of football um, and upstairs in the boardroom as opposed to, to down on the dugout. Um, so he was let go. Further, the the uh, instability and Carl Robinson joined the club. Um, and that's probably when we started seeing a turn in pattern, which was that he is a big personality in the game. Carl Robinson, of, of course, like you, you'll, your fans will be aware of his time at, at, at MK Dons and another on Oxford United, where you know he is a big, louder than life character. Um, he put a stamp on things, and, and he doesn't take any flax, uh, and he certainly didn't take anything from Roland, regardless of him being the owner. Um, so we had a, a fairly good finish under under him that season, um, and then he left by his own account because of a disagreement the following season uh, and that's when we saw Lee Boyer come in. Um, Boyer took us to the playoffs that year. We lost in the um, in the semi-final to Shrewsbury Town which was an incredible Shrewsbury Town team that season um, and then Boyer was given the full season the year after which led to us winning the winning the playoff final against Sunderland in the, the last kick of the game which I think after the years of, of instability and pain was was the perfect um perfect end to that chapter really like it, it felt like we'd really come again um with the Chatelet staying out the football decisions it felt like we had a chance to to really kick on um and then the football club was sold um which is something that the fans have been crying out for for a very long time um it was sold to East Street uh, Investments which was made up of uh, um a, a shake to Noon Namir from from um the uh, from Dubai or from the Arab Emirates wherever, wherever it was in the end um and there was a, a board in place um, with Matt Southall, who's a, a name that will send cold shivers through many footballer fan that he's he's had the displeasure of of taking on. Um, started with with lots of false promises, you know, a big investment, signing Ivan Tony in January while he was at Peterborough and all this stuff. And the whole time we were under an embargo because they'd never been approved by the EFL. Um and that's when the wheels came off big time. Um, we went into COVID, obviously, and the football season um, paused. We were in the championship. And at that point, when they were looking at the points per game, finishing the um, League League Two and League One, they were kind of flirting with the idea in the championship. And although we'd been out of the, the bottom three for the entire season, that weekend before the COVID lockdown was the first time we fell into it. So we would have gone down on points per game, despite only being in the relegation zone for for a week um but yeah all sorts of of nonsense occurred that season which you know we were we were days away from from losing our football club which i know blackpool fans will will sympathize with and relate to given the the problems that you guys had with with your owners over the years um all the debacle aside with with east street investments thomas sangar came in at the back end of 2020 um with excitement enthusiasm um and really gained cult hero status at the start of his tenure because he had saved us you know we were days from from the brink really um put aside together very very quickly because he came in at the back end of September and that year the transfer window had extended because of um the pandemic um and we ended up finishing just shy of the of the playoffs which was a real achievement considering you know the team that that we'd had to put together kind of overnight we were we were quite quite inconsistent um conceded a lot of goals i think we played yourselves that season and conceded christ knows how many goals <laughs> um and it wasn't great yeah for thanks for reminding me <laughs> um 
So, and then from there, there were a, there was this enthusiasm from Thomas that was, we're going to get you back in the championship. We're going to push for Premier League football. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We'll be playing in Europe. We're going to sign this player, that player. And it all sounded amazing, um, but it was never backed up. Um, and Thomas, I always think, had good intentions because I don't think he was a bad person, but he was quite naive in his decision-making um, and brought in some quite inexperienced people to to run the football club on the day-to-day. Um, his son was um, leading some of the recruitment side of things in terms of analysis. Um, his partner was dealing with stuff um, in terms of uh, like day-to-day match day operation, uh, commercial issues and things like that. And it just became very messy. Um, and with it becoming messy, the results then followed. And as you said earlier, we had these sort of two mid-table finishes that again resulted in managerial changes um under thomas we lost lee Boyer. he was replaced by nigel adkins we lost nigel adkins the following season was replaced by um club legend johnny jackson he was then replaced by ben garner last season ben garner was replaced by dean holden um and um yeah and we had all those changes under thomas before the club was sold this summer um obviously the takeovers happen now um this season it's very early doors to judge the new the new owners, um, but Charlton fans, given the amount of times we've had our hands burnt by others, uh, are very, very cautious to to open and trust. But it's but yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind couple of years, that's for sure. Hopefully, in positive hands now, though, with with the takeover, we we talk about players that played for both clubs. We can probably do a manager um, manage both because we had Jose Riga as well under under our um, previous ownership. Um, Likeable character and actually stuck up for a lot for Blackpool fans and. Um, Against against the previous owners as well, who obviously, as as we know, rocked rocked the football world as much as many bad owners as well. So, um, yeah, some similarities in managers as well. But talking of managers, I want to talk a little bit about Dean Holden because he became the first managerial sacking in in League One, maybe in the EFL this season. Um, played for um, he managed thirty two games. He only won twelve, lost fifteen, and, and drew five. Um, issue with Dean Dean did he need more time or was it a case of you know react quickly and save the season so to speak because you don't act in that manner by sacking sacking a manager if, if you know if you didn't want the, the, it to turn around in the same season yeah um the Dean decision was was incredibly tough I think to take at the time um he came into the football club last season um when I felt that there was a, a real disconnection between club and supporters um with the ongoing sort of off-field um strain between the club fans and Thomas Sangard. Um and with Ben Garner, who who came in and, and was sort of relieved of his duties in the first, you know, uh, around Christmas time. Um what had happened, I think, with with sacking Johnny Jackson, who was a club legend and a cult hero, replaced him with Ben Garner, who at the time was a fairly underwhelming appointment, played very good football, but was underwhelming in terms of what when you when you lose a club legend as your manager, you want to see somebody come in that's going to take the headlines, and I didn't feel he did. So when Dean came in, I felt that he provided a lift because I don't know how much you know about Dean Holden, um, but he's got to be one of the nicest men in football, hands down. And I think that he he really galvanised a fan base that was hurt. Um, and we finished fairly strongly last season. There were a few poor results, but we did finish okay. And in the pre-season, it felt very different around the football club. It felt that there was a real positive mood. 
we had the preseason tour uh, out in Marbella, which Dean invited fans to. So a load of fans went over there. Um, he was a sort of a manager that would be in the pub with the fans after the game and stuff like that. He was really invested in the area and, and coming from from Manchester, he always sort of said he he was a working class fan himself as a, as a Manchester United fan. And he, he came down to Charlton and, and wanted to know what it was all about, wanted to invest himself in the local area, which he did. Uh, and I can't I couldn't speak any higher of Dean Holden as a personality and as a person. Um, we started the season very, very disappointing in a disappointing manner. I think I, I found it in two ways, really, um, because at the moment we're doing quite well. But I do think that Appleton currently has more tools available to him than Dean did in the in the first sort of five games that he was here this season. Um, and I was very, very upset to see Dean lose his job. Um but we did look like we didn't have a clear direction and what way we wanted to play. And, and I do think some of that comes down to the manager. And I think Dean would admit himself that he probably needed like an experienced number two alongside him because he's still quite a young manager in terms of his, his managerial CV. Fantastic man manager and, and would galvanise a group of players and get players up for it. But I think when it comes down to the tactics and, and wanting to change a game, maybe that's where he was a little bit weaker Um and I think that we saw some of those weaknesses at the start of the season where he didn't have all his options available to him. He couldn't really chop and change. And his last game against Oxford was a real last throw at the dice in terms of the line-out he put out. And yeah, the following day, he was he was relieved of his duties. And, and now Michael Appleton is is in charge of the football club. Yes, it's, it's a bit disappointing when, when characters like that have to lose their job, as you've alluded to already, because they even need to be a part of the management team as a number two, or as you say, have that number two there to, to guide them and make them improve whilst on the job. But while you're at a, a club of Charlton stature, despite your previous sort of few years, um, you know, it's kind of expected and not a shock to the football world anymore when, you know, you've got a start like that and you're expected to at least push for playoffs that, that someone like that will lose their job when you get some experience in. And of course, Michael Appleton, who, who Blackpool fans, we try not to say his name too much on the pod, but Blackpool fans will be very familiar with him and he's had the first four games, four or five games, isn't he? One, one two, yeah. uh, two wins and two draws so far unbeaten with you guys and your home form is picking up um, really well. Um, so what sort of style of play has he, has he brought in so far this season? Um, it's hard to say really, because I still think he's, he's learning his best, not his best 11 as such, but the way to line them up uh, in each game. What we've seen from, from Appleton is not just the change in personnel, but the change in system. I think he's toying with a few things, but he's changed the system to suit the games that he's playing at the time. So the, the previous result we've just had against Exeter City, he started with quite a few strikers on the pitch and, and all of us were trying to sort of work out where people were playing. Um, but it worked and it's good to sort of see that. And I think what Mike was brought to the club more than anything is he likes playing this possession based football, but it's not possession based for, for the sake of things. It won't just be passing around the back four to keep your pass rate over X amount and your possession rate over X percentage. You know, it's, it's meaningful possession. So we retain the ball comfortably, but we press forward at the right times. I would say that, we're still learning in some ways because we were caught out Tuesday a little bit by playing a slightly high line where Exeter were able to get in behind. But I think our actual ball retention has really improved under under Michael. And we've got strong midfield players in George Dobson and, and Louis Watson uh, on Tuesday, especially that, that ran the middle of the park and were able to sort of pick up the scraps and then create play and, and settle down. 
Um, and then, you know, when you've got someone like Alfie May in your side that can put the ball in the back of the net, you know, I, I don't I don't think there's many a more, more I don't think there is a more prolific striker in in this division than, than Alfie. I think he's an outstanding talent. Um, you wouldn't believe he's 30 years old. And, and when you've got players like that, Chuck Zanike, um, Slobodan Tedic that signed on loan from Man City, Miles Lieburn, who's who's our real, you know, star boy, if you like, you've got these talents to, to feed through. I think he's got like a, a, a real cluster of luxury at the moment, Michael, which is something, as I say, Dean didn't really have because we didn't have these players either in the door because of the transfer window or they've been injured. Where we've seen these players come back into the fold, Appleton's really got luxuries now. And, and I think we're seeing not like a set style of play bar the possession-based stuff, but I think he's starting to find uh, a formula that works for Charlton in terms of where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are, but how we can counteract those weaknesses by by pushing for our positives. Yeah, you could argue that at Blackpool, we tried to do the same thing in all fairness. Uh, appreciate the fans listening. You know, ultimately we were poor and we were, were only going probably one direction, but I, I almost agree with you in, in terms of a bit similar to what Dean Holden had where if Appleton had better players for his position. So as an example, we didn't have an Ollie Norburn. We didn't really have anyone in centre midfield that can be that real dogged fighter and, and win the ball back for us. And if we had an Auburn and maybe someone else with him in the championship season, you could see his identity maybe come off a lot, whereas everything we tried to do didn't quite work. And we just got, got, got caught out with experience and caught out with the quality that is the championship, as, you, as you're familiar with. So... I do believe he, he, he can create a real clear identity and he's, and he's got previous with, with other clubs such as Lincoln and, and Oxford where he's created this, you know, really good machine that, you know, scores goals and, and wins promotion. So I see it as a real positive, you know, appointment by Chelton. He's, he's very experienced and with, like you say, with the right tools, he begins to he begins to build really well. So um, I do think he's, he's fairly intelligent. I just think his time at Blackpool was very tainted. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I think we'll what see was what key comes for us of... as well was, yeah. I think what was key for us was the owners when relieving Dean of his duties and bringing Appleton into the club. The big seller, really, to the fan base was that they wanted someone that was good on the grass. And I think Appleton's strengths as a coach, as opposed to a manager, are probably what what really show his best strengths. Like the the fact that he he knows his way around a system. He knows to adapt games. He he can play certain systems and, and also adapt if it's not working where I think when you have more of a man manager, which we had in Dean, they're more based on the personality, you know, their, their yeah. sort of reliance on, on getting performances through, you know, passionate halftime talks, you know, getting your arm around a player where I think Appleton's a little bit more strategic in terms of how he does that. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing the benefits of it so far. That's for sure. Yeah. You almost want, Dean to be in a with uh, with um, Michael now really that would uh, probably work really well but um, it's interesting you say with the proactive change of systems and, and and proactive subs I don't I don't know if you sort of said subs but he he would he would make two or three changes with Blackport at halftime if it wasn't working and that's something that are not managers a lot and you know they're not brave to do um, and he certainly will will leave a you know give all and leave it all on the pitch in terms of what he wants to do and if it's not working. As you say, he's not scared to change that. So he clearly has that in his identity and, and, and using that with you guys. So talking of the players you, you spoke about that he's got at his um, use, um, you've had a fairly busy transfer window in the summer. He brought in some some real talents. Um, Kamara, um, Jones, Edden, May, they're all amongst others, but they're all some 
players that I would love to have at Blackpool. Um, when you talk about transfers other than Alfie Mayo, is there anyone else that you know you're really wowed by or really happy that you brought in? Yeah, you know, I've, I think that we have strengthened in every area, I would say. Um, last season, we didn't have real competition for goalkeeping. We, we had Craig McGillivray and Jojo Woolacott, who, who started as our one and two at the start of the season. Um, Jojo got injured just before the World Cup. He was due to go off with Ghana, um, broke his finger um, the weekend before. He was due to fly out. Um, we didn't see him play again that season um, because of the emergence of Ashley Maynard Brewer, who's a young keeper of ours that um, that has really, really made his, his stamp last season, but didn't have the competition and is still very young. So we strengthened there and bringing in Harry Eisted, who who started the season fairly strongly. Um, it, sorry, finished the season very strongly with Barnsley last season. Um, outrageous performance in the playoff final against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, we brought him in. Um, Lloyd Jones has has been a real a real coup for us. I think he's he's settled in our back line in what I think at the start of the season, especially was very disappointing defence in terms of our performances. Lloyd himself has definitely got fitter. Um, he was at a, a, a bit of a delayed start to pre-season. Um, and now we're seeing the real Lloyd Jones and, and he's a real, a real player. You know, he's, he's a real strong presence at the back and paired with Michael Hector, they're two big physical presence in, in terms of centre halves. Um, I was surprised to see, um, because he had an excellent season or, or time with Northampton. It didn't surprise me somewhat that Mark Bonner signed him at Cambridge, but um, at the same time, like because because Mark Bonner's an excellent manager, but at the same time, you, you expected him to probably move on because he's, he's a real dogged defender, isn't he? A real fighter, but also he's got, he's got more intelligent over the years watching him. Yeah, yeah, he has, and, and he's strengthened and, and solidified some of our defensive howlers. I think what the problem was last season is Michael Hector looked fairly good, but he never really had a partner. This season, actually, Jones has probably overshadowed Hector in terms of performances, um, but we're starting to see Hector settle a, a bit more now and his performances are improving by having Lloyd-Jones next to him, which is good. Um, tonight, Watson, who who has been a... He was a, a deadline day signing. We've only really seen the last couple of weeks, but he's looked really, really good in terms of playing at right wing-back um, and at right-back. He's looked really good. He's He's been overlapping with the winger on that side, which has been providing an additional threat we didn't really have before. Um, and another Watson to add to the list is Louis Watson, who's on loan from Luton Town at the moment. Um, a real steady and tidy midfield player um, was absolutely outstanding Tuesday night and paired along, arguably biased maybe, but who I think is the best player in the division, George Dobson, who um, those midfielders are two, both very similar players. They remind me of Josh Cullen, who we had back in our promotion winning campaign. Um, run around all game, always chomping at the bit to get hold of the ball, play key passes. Um, they both, both very young as well, aren't they? Yeah, and they both complement each other very nicely. I think Dobson has gained that experience. He's been our captain now for for um, the back end of last season and this season. Um, he came to us, didn't really hit the ground running when he started under Adkins, but since Jacko put him into the side, he's been you know an absolutely outstanding servant to this football club so far. Um, and having someone in midfield that complements him in, in Louis Watson is, is bringing out further strengths in Dobbo's game. Likewise, um, we've got Scott Fraser, who's back from injury, um, and obviously Pan Kamara, who we signed in the summer as well. That midfield berth in terms of centre mids, if you're only picking two out of those, it, it's very difficult. It's a headache for for Appleton, that's for sure. Um, has Kamara been 
He's been injured, isn't he? He's not been. He has, yeah. He started because he's he's exceptional talent, isn't he? Yeah, he is exceptional talent. Yeah, he's he's strong. He's good on the ball. He's quick. Um, he's passionate, and yeah, sadly, he has been injured. I I don't know how long he's going to be out for. Um, but when he started, um, the first couple of games, I mean, he was he was over and above everybody else on the pitch, really. Um. So hopefully he can be fit soon and, and challenging that midfield. But at the moment, I'm not seeing a huge amount of worry in midfield in terms of, especially in the centre uh, centre midfield area, because we've got Fraser's just returned from from injury, Louis Watson, George Dobson, who I've mentioned, and also a young Corey Anderson, who's been who impressed pre-season, come for our academy and has, has been getting some minutes as well. But we're relying on them, uh, the youngsters, a little bit too much at the start of the season. Now we've strengthened in those areas. We're able to sort of bloody them slowly rather than just chucking them in, you know, from the off. Um, yeah, so a positive, you know, very positive summer window. But um, I know we're going to come on to speak about my favourite signing ever, I think, um, right now. But um, yeah, very positive summer, I'd say. Yeah. Already alluded to it, and my 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 um probably one of my favourite League One signings, and one I was screaming out for in the previous window, even when Blackpool in the Championship to sign because it wouldn't have taken a ridiculous sum of money to pull him away from from Cheltenham, and as you've already said, thirty year old Alfie May runs around like he's still in his early twenties, and and he's got so much excitement for the game, and 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 can finish all sorts of goals, and is one I'm very fond of. Um, um, you might be familiar with Jerry Yates, who was at us previously, scored in that um, COVID game as well. I think it was a penalty. Um, but but May is very similar to him, very energetic, can, can score all types of goals, but actually he's probably, oh, he is more prolific than than probably Jerry Yates was at Blackpool and he would have been a perfect sort of um, addition it, when we lost him. But he is someone that just just got a couple of goals against a very good Exeter side midweek. Um, he creates a lot of chances and has had a lot of chances previously as well. Um, Blackpool fans won't want to hear this, but he's sort of probably hitting the ground running and hasn't taken too long to do so either. No, you know what? With Alfie, it was funny. So the start of the season, he he sort of went three games without a goal, and we were thinking we're famous for putting strikers through goal droughts and we were thinking and surely we can't do this to Alfie May you know the most prolific striker at this level over the last two seasons surely we cannot ruin him after three games and uh, thankfully we haven't um, he is exceptional you know he there is not a single negative I can pick out about Alfie May and that not just from his game play and his goals it's his professionalism it's his uh, desire to to chase down every single ball he got um he got an assist on uh, Tuesday night just before half time with a great lofted ball in that shows his side to a game that that he has on top of the goals um and then his real key is something that we've lacked for years is the fact that he's a poacher he is always onto any loose ball his first goal on Tuesday came from an an EK penalty miss that penalty save um Alfie gave him the penalty which uh, I don't think uh, Appleton was too pleased about giving handing it over um but Anike missed it and Alfie was straight on it to, to slam the rebound in the net. Um, and likewise, his his second goal came in the 90th minute and it all came from him. He played a, a through ball from our, from our half and after passing the ball, he sprinted full whack in the 90th minute all the way into the box and finished the move. And, you know, he is, at, what, 30 years of age? The, the guy looks like he's in his early 20s. He 
is just an outstanding talent, a real fan favourite, very likeable guy. He's a local lad. He's at Charlton now, which he's closer to home. It all, it all feels like a real fairy tale story that he's with us. Um, and I was I was over the I was begging for him to sign all summer and prior to that, really. I think for the last two years, I've wanted him to sign for us. So to now see him come in and see him performing in that number nine shirt, um, you know, he's he's a really really good player, and I'm so excited that we've got him at Charlton now. Yeah, and. He's played at different positions up front as well in his career, which Appleton will really like because he played um, players like Shane Lavery and Jerry Yates. He, he moved them about within within a front three as well. And Alfie May, I, I doubt he ever will, but he can drift wide as a winger as well as playing deep and you know bring sort of like Harry Kane did for Spurs. And when he can come really deep, pick the ball up, play it wide, and then get a run into the box, as you say, and score those types of goals as well. So one to watch on Saturday um, if if it wasn't obvious enough already. But away from home, we, we, we tried to be fairly solid against Barnsley. We had about 20, 25 minutes of defending. And I think if we allow you guys to do that, you've you've got, you know, that run and that momentum to probably break us down a little bit more. We, we, we were fairly resilient against Barnsley, but we, we were also wasn't that on Tuesday. So it depends what Blackpool turns up. And that's probably why we're in the position we're in. Um, although just above you in the league, you've had a more turbulent start to the season in terms of a managerial change and and, and so on. So I think you go, you go into Saturday as favourites um, nonetheless, but thanks for giving us an insight to, to a few of your key players. How, how, how does Charlton fans see this game? So how do you see it? How, how, how does the podcast see it? And how do, how do the fans overall see this game against Blackpool? I think I think we see it as a as a proper test because you know I, I think you always have to associate a, a tough challenge with any team when they come down from the championship. There is that that lofted expectation, if you like, on those clubs. I think the league this year is is weaker because you know sadly Reading and Wigan have have both been uh, been penalised for for off the field um, difficulties and and they're both down in the in the bottom four at the moment, but. Blackpool are a very strong side um, in this division. You know, over the years, they're, they're difficult to play against. I always think Bloomfield Road's a tough place to go for us. Um, I've been a few times. I've, I've never seen us win there. Um, they're a big, you know, big physical side that, that have always played fairly decent football, but have always been very cutting edge and, and sort of cutthroat in terms of their finish. Um, I don't know a huge amount about this Blackpool side. Obviously, you say you've had a fairly a mediocre start. I think you've you've got very good players at this level. The likes of, you know, Jordan Rhodes, Owen Dale, um, all very, very, very strong players at this level. Um, and obviously, Neil Critchley did a fantastic job for you when you were at this level before. Um, and I was interested to see him. I was actually very surprised that he left um, to take the job that he did. I think, I think we all were. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was, you know, it was interesting to see him come back because I think with with Critchley, is he, he had that spell... Um, as an assistant, went went away as an assistant, which I found strange, and then got back into management at Queens Park Rangers, and did did terribly, which really surprised me um, because I think he's a very good manager. Um, so to see him go back to Blackpool, it, it feels like it's a a bit more homely for him, a bit more familiar, um, and having him, I think, is a threat. And you know, look, it's it's going to be two two good sides that are probably underperforming at the moment when you look at the league table. Both going to be keen for a win. Um, I think it's going to be a very, very good game. So, look, we, we you say we may go into it as favourites. You know, I've been I've been very positive this week about us because of how well we've we've been playing under under Michael so far. 
um, and the performance Tuesday was the real icing on the cake because we we looked very very good and we were we were worthy of that that result and the scoreline. I won't get carried away because I think you know no disrespect to Exeter, but I think Exeter and Blackpool are very different opponents. Um, so it's going to be a you know it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a test. We've we've got a we've got to turn up. We've got to be at our best for you guys. You know we've got we've got our threats, but you've got your threats and. I think it's it's a bit of a not a grudge game as such for for Michael, but you know there's going to be that added that added pressure for him to get a result. He's going to want to get a result over you guys and get one up on you. Um, but you have to not let emotion get in the way at football um, at, at times. So yeah, you know it's going to be it's going to be a very very good game, I think, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, oh, if you score, I won't be hanging around to see those stupid players run out of the tunnel of. Seeing that on social media, there's probably one thing I don't like about Charlton, but um, hopefully the tunnel jump is fan. triggering every fan base this season. <laughs> and and you probably love why. it because if you keep seeing the videos, you know it's, it's tradition. You, We've done it for how is it? years. It was started. I think by, you've never tweeted it. Surely you've never tweeted that because I think they've been you know, tweeting it a lot more. But you know, come on, we had such a bad start. You got to let. It's one but of those things, mate. It's if it's your team yeah, doing it, you don't care, do you? So. Exactly. It's a it's a tradition that started with Chris Powell, you know, a little while ago. Maybe started before then I don't know before my time but my memories of Chris Powell doing it when we were in the Premier League are great so sometimes it's uh, it's a little reminder of, of better times when you see see us doing that in League One and you know look, everyone has their ways of celebrating <laughs> I, just have, but, I just have this um, nightmare of Appleton doing it <laughs> Blackpool fans you might you never know yeah he's not done it yet maybe he's saving it for you guys but yeah we've been triggering Ipswich fans with the tunnel jump which has been great because we did the four all with them last year and I, I don't know why they're still bothered because they are top of the championship and we are 13th or 14th in League One so I don't know why they're still bothered but it's very very funny football is fickle I suppose exactly um, I yeah. have one quick question before I asked you um, if you have any questions for us, but how how does your defence cope if you've had it this season against a fairly sort of big target man? Because we didn't play Killian Kowasi, who isn't the best with the ball. His you know distribution is is quite poor, but is definitely a handful for for for, for, for your centre backs. And I think someone like Jones and Hector will be up for that sort of battle. But have you have you have you had any vulnerabilities at the back or in your team? Um, but you know, prior to to Appleton coming in, or with Appleton, yeah, I, I think um, the defence has been our weaker um, our weaker area this season so far. Um, it was a weaker area at the back end of last season as well, and I think that's come from not having um, a, a consistent back four. Um, we've we've had people playing out of positions and stuff like that. So the back end of last season, we had Sean Clare playing at right back, who will say himself he's a centre mid. And we just have this chop and change system. So you can never build a relationship. And, and this season, when we signed Jones, I thought, perfect. So Jones will start, another will start, and we'll be able to form a, a proper back four. We started with Nathan Asimwe at right back. He was 18 and is a very, very good talent. But he's, he's an experience, you know. He's being bloodied as a youngster, starting in League One week in, week out. He struggled, I think, and, and we lacked that leadership at the back. Hector took a while to get up to speed in terms of fitness. Jones as well, as I, as I mentioned before. And we we didn't really hit the right formula in terms of a back four. I still think we have vulnerabilities there. Um, we're prone to a mistake, I think, sometimes when if we're playing it out from the back, which we we have nipped in the bud a little bit more under, under Appleton because I suppose he doesn't see it as a strength. Um, but sometimes we do get caught on, a, on the turn. Yeah, as I mentioned Tuesday, we got caught because we were pressing too high with the ball in behind. 
Um, but in terms of a of a tall target man, you know, I would I would back um, Hector and and Jones if they're the two that start on Saturday to to be able to to handle it or or at least give a very good battle against a, a physical front man. Um, but I do still think that that if we don't make the top six this season, it will be because of defensive um, frailty. Um, but you never know. Look, I think now we're playing a different way un, under Michael that that we may be able to solidify that back line a little bit more. I said it on our, on our podcast earlier, I think the more you form the relationship that's there at the moment between the back four that are playing with Tanae Watson, who is a natural right back, the two natural centre-halves in Hector and Jones, we've got a, a bit of an issue at left back at the moment with Terrell Thomas playing out of position. Once we kind of get that relationship strung up, I think that will slowly see some of these errors get ironed out and some of these frailties will disappear. But it's still a it's still a nervous um, thing for fans and for myself. I think sometimes we do look a little bit vulnerable at the back, and that's something we're going to need to iron out if we want to want to push ourselves up into that top six. Okay, fair enough. Um, and do you have any questions for, for myself? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it on your on your uh, on our pod earlier, but um, obviously, a, a player that we're we're both very familiar with is is Albie Morgan. Um, he had a very up and down career with us. I thought when he came in, he was fantastic. When he came through the academy and started in that, in that League One promotion season, we saw some really good performances from him. Um, and then he almost became like a scapegoat. Um, it was strange because he was this, you know, he had, he had all these appearances. He played all of these games and we were always like sort of waiting. Like, I'll, I'll be still young. He needs to get there. He needs to get there. He needs to get there. I think Louis Louis mentioned earlier it was 140 appearances or something, and he maybe just still didn't quite get there. Um, I do I did feel sorry for him with us. I did think he was made a scapegoat unfairly. Um, I was interested to know how he's getting on with you guys, given a new start. Because I think a move for him this summer was key. Um, so I was interested to know how he's getting on at Blackpool. Yeah, he's. Um, I kind of alluded to it, and without going into too much detail, but. When he's played, he's played in a in a three, but the three from memory, like against Leighton Orient and Port Vale and a few other a few other teams, he, he kind of drifted out to support to support the wing backs in a five three two, which left Norburn very much isolated by himself, which we've nipped in the bud, particularly against Barnsley and Derby, where the centre midfielders stayed as a unit and you know, Kenny Dougal and Norburn worked really well, but Morgan wasn't there as a part of that. So maybe he doesn't see him in that system and that's why he's dropped him. Or, or maybe he was just giving him some respite. I'm not too sure. Um, he, he, he shows potential. Um, his en- energy and his flair and his, and his you know, want or his positivity and his proactiveness within the box, sometimes it is clear to see. Um, but his final decision-making and his shot power or his inability to maybe get a a finish away is is probably detriment to him and maybe why Critchley's dropped him I'm not 100% sure would would I be surprised to see him start Saturday with, with him wanting to maybe prove a point and, and him being rested after a couple of games no I wouldn't um, and it's a difficult one if the pattern continues then he'll be either moved on potentially loaned out or be one of those ones where a bit like Charlton where he didn't really pull up any trees and maybe it's a another move in the future but I don't think Critchley would have signed him unless he really wanted to like you said he's still fairly young he's got a lot of minutes in the EFL under his under his belt um, injury free he's played 11 games for us already 
you just need to see an end product from him, don't you? And that's probably why Charlton yeah. were happy to let him go in the end. So, yeah, um, I think there's a player in there for sure. But I think his his biggest thing with the big thing we saw with Albie is like he has the ability to turn a game because his range of passing is very good. But also his consistency in the passing wasn't always great. So he would hit like a, a Hollywood pass, and it could win you a game. But it might take him sort of ten attempts to do that. Um, mm. And that's one of the one of the things with Albie that was a was a bit of a struggle. And yeah, you alluded to sort of his shooting um, ability and stuff as well. When you you want him to be getting amongst the goals, especially in a in a team under with us, especially that were struggling to put the ball in the back of the net, and we never really saw that from him. Yeah, I think it's consistent enough, and it doesn't really go by much. But his rating each games across like who scored and foot mob and all the others, like in terms of his outlet between you know between seven and eight. Um, you know, in terms of his positivity, et cetera, because they tend to do his like, overall attributes, don't they, and his past success, et cetera. But like you say, it's football's not one on stats, and unless he does make a name for himself, he'll just be a bit part player, and I don't really want that in him. Like I said, he needs that goal maybe to get him going, I'm not sure. But, yeah, we'll see. If he starts Saturday, obviously we hope for the best, and we, but it's, it's more critically de- detrimenting players as well because if he's playing a system where the centre midfielders are pushing wide and you leave one centre midfielder against three or four in Leighton Orient, Port Vale and other teams, then, you know, that's not the player's fault at the end of the day, is it? You know, he's made yeah. Oli Norburn look ridiculously poor a couple of times as well. And I know Oli Norburn is probably one of the best centre midfielders. And if he's in, in your team or a derby or something like that, um, obviously not your team now with the talent, you've got a centre mid, but if he was in your team, you know, he would make a world of difference. Um, and he would probably look head and shoulders like he did at Peterborough. They weren't, they weren't too happy to see him go either. So Critchley needs to sort that out in terms of his system also. And if he doesn't know the system he's going to play against Charlton, because he doesn't seem to be as meticulous as he was in his first time with Blackpool, you know, he would make those Appleton style four changes, even though we won three in all last game. I think he made five changes for a semi, the playoffs when we played Oxford in the COVID season, he made five changes to go away at the Kassam. You know, we won three 0 but he made five changes from a win inside. And we were like, "It's a semi-final of the playoffs." He's not doing that really this season, and we haven't really got an identity. And that's where I think Blackpool fans getting really frustrated. Fairly good window, not the same Neil Critchley. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to get sacked or anything, but he can't keep in the same manner. Otherwise, we're going to be 12th, 13th, come 20 games in, 10 games time, and maybe, maybe he will go. But um, I still yeah. have confidence Critchley will get it right, but. Yeah, it leads on nicely to my next question, actually, which was mm-hmm. sort of obviously coming down from the championship. Naturally, your your ambition is always to return, but sometimes club circumstances don't always lead to that. So I was interested to know, like, what what are Blackpool fans' sort of realistic expectations of this season? Like, are they expecting an immediate bounce back, or or do you think that it's going to take time for for Critchley? You know, after a turbulent season last season, is going to take time for Critchley to get the formula right? Is Critchley the man to do that? You know what? What are Blackpool fans thinking this season will bring? Um, if you asked ninety percent of Blackpool fans, I think the expectations would be that we 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 should go up. Um, is that the privilege of coming down from the championship and having Neil Critchley and thinking everything's going to be rosy potentially? Um, is it a different expectation to a different Neil Critchley as we were going to think we we're going to get? Absolutely we're not the same team as we thought we were probably going to be. So if you asked every Blackpool fan now, they'd probably say about where we are, maybe pushing playoffs with, with a run of games. But we, we yet to see a consistent pattern of play in a game where 
we dominate for 90 minutes. I think we've dominated three or four games for half an hour, 40 minutes. And I generally, generally mean that, that you, you know, you can look down our fixture list. I can tell you we've dominated Burton at home for the first half. Then they should have scored two or three. Port Vale should have beat us. Leighton Orient had the chance to beat us. Lincoln did beat us 3 0. And we drew 0 0 at Exeter, but they had their chances. Um, Derby beat us. You know, and we, we, we've scraped a couple of wins. And Wigan at home, we only beat 2 1 in the last minute. We beat Barnsley, but it was an onslaught at the end. Um, we beat Burton 2 0, and they are, they are dreadful, but they, they even should have scored against us. So his first 10 games, 15 games last time, wasn't very good. Um, so, you know, and then we, we had the form of, of the top two after that. So we'll see. We'll bide our time. I think Sadler will as well. So the expectations is Critchley gets a sword a lot quicker than he is. Um, and if if it's the same in 10 games time, the expectation is probably that they want Critchley gone, which is a sad, but it, it, unfortunately it's a bit, bit, bit the same as your previous manager got treated with. And if it's not going the same way, unfortunately decisions have to be made. No, I mean, the one that I was going to mention actually was um, how have you, obviously losing Jerry Yates in the summer, very, very difficult shoes to fill in terms of his goals and, and what he brings to the side. Do you think you've been able to replace him sort of adequately with, with Jordan Rhodes or do you think he's a completely sort of different striker? And, and if so, are you adapting to his style of play from what you would previously would have played with under Jerry Yates? Yeah, yeah. So he's a different player. I think that's expected. Jerry Yates is a is a Jack Russell who who run from left back to, to up front, um, you know, and he will be everywhere on the pitch fighting for the team. But he isn't as 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 a poacher as Jordan Rhodes is, and yeah, Alfie Mays of the world. And so yeah, I mean, we miss Jerry Yates desperately, but he was a big character. We've scored ten goals this season, and Jordan Rhodes already has five. So um, he's a suitable replacement on loan. We 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 actually. Although it wasn't apparently signed Jerry Yates' replacement in the same direction as or the opposite direction as to Jerry Yates when in Cole Joseph at um at Swansea. So we've signed him for a, a significant fee in, in 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 quotation marks. He has pulled his hamstring, I believe, um in his first game against Derby in the EFL Cup, um, or the League Cup, and he hasn't played a minute since. So we don't know whether we've replaced him adequately. Um, do I think Cole Jones is an excellent footballer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and hopefully he starts soon or in the next five or so games. So we haven't had Cole Joseph. Shane Lavery's been injured as well. So Jordan Rhodes is, is certainly been, uh, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. We won two games in a row against um, Reading, sorry, 4-1. Um, and Barnsley away, we played Killian Kowasi, who's a young big striker from Sutton and he's really big like massive that's why I asked about your defence um, and he causes really you know some some real troubles and then we don't play him against Derby and then we punt the ball forward to Jordan Rhodes for nearly 90 minutes so it baffled me as to why Critchley left Kowasi out probably ready for Saturday but at the same time when you're winning you, you needed to beat Derby and he could be a real handful, um, you know, because he's quite young. So we've probably adequately replaced the goals um, in Jordan Rhodes and Cole Joseph and Shane Lavery, you know, when he's fit. But we just haven't had them at our, at our, to Critchley's use yet. And that will be part of the reason why we're not scoring goals and we're not performing as high as our XG sort of suggests as well. That was a lot longer than I expected, Lewis, but um, you've given us a, a massive history lesson in Charlton and sort of a, a massive insight into into sat- Saturday's game. But do you have a score prediction for us? Oh, what shall I go with? I'm going to go... I've got to be loyal, haven't I? I'm going to go 2-1 Charlton. Can't see us keeping the clean sheet. I'm going to go 2-1 Charlton. 
Fair enough. Well, we'll see if that comes to fruition um, at the end of Saturday's game, um, where you can join us next week, where we'll be reviewing the Charlton game and looking back at both Charlton and Derby and giving our thoughts as, as we head into to, to next week's game. But from me at the It's Not Orange podcast, have a good evening. Yeah.